Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Live from the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Monday, July 11th, 2022. Coming up this hour. Twitter shares plunge after Elon Musk ends his takeover bid. Now the future of Twitter appears to be headed for a courtroom. Bank earnings and a key inflation report grabbed the spotlight on Wall Street this week. And the race to succeed Boris Johnson as UK Prime Minister heats up. Steve Bannon's attorneys say he is now willing to testify before the January 6th House Committee. Plus, Senate Majority Leader Schumer has COVID. I'm Michael Barr. More ahead. I'm John Stanshaw in sports. The Yankees for the second night in a row blew a lead, lost to the Red Sox in Boston. The Mets were shut out. They visit the Braves tonight. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak. On Bloomberg 1130 New York, Bloomberg 991 Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 1061 Boston, Bloomberg 960 San Francisco, Sirius XM 119, and around the world on BloombergRadio.com and via the Bloomberg Business app. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. I'm Karen Moscow, and U.S. stock index futures are moving lower this morning. We're coming up to 501 on Wall Street, and we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. Right now, S&P futures are down 26 points, Dow futures down 182, and NASDAQ futures down in 98. The 10-year Treasury at 530 seconds yield 3.05%, and the yield on the two-year, 3.07%. Nathan. Uh, Karen, we're keeping an eye on Twitter shares this morning. They are down six and three quarters percent in early trading as the showdown between Elon Musk and the social media company appears headed for court. Let's get the latest live from Bloomberg's Renita Young. Good morning, Renita. Good morning. Good morning, Nathan. Even though Elon Musk is backing out of the $44 billion deal to buy Twitter, after all, he can't just walk away without a court case. And Twitter has lawyered up in a race to sue Musk to follow through on his end of the agreement. Bloomberg sources say a filing could come as soon as early this week. Now, if the judge rules against Musk, he could be forced to pay Twitter shareholders $54.20 a share. But a ruling in his favor would let Musk walk, although he'd probably have to pay a $1 billion dollar breakup fee. And there's still also the prospect that both sides could reach a settlement where Musk still makes the acquisition, but potentially at a lower price. Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. 
All right, Renita, thank you. Well, the Twitter news is also impacting another stock this morning. Shares of Digital World Acquisition are up more than 24% on heavy volume in early trading. Digital World is the company merging with former President Trump's Trump Media and Technology Group, which owns his Truth Social platform. Well, stocks overall are lower this morning, Karen, as we begin a new trading week. In Asia overnight, a resurgence of COVID flare-ups led to a drop of almost 3% for Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index. Let's get the recap. From Bloomberg Daybreak Asia anchor Brian Curtis. Most Asian benchmarks slid. COVID cases in Shanghai are rising as the city faces more mass testing. In Macau, authorities shut down casinos and other businesses for a week. As a result, casino shares took a big hit. Tokyo, though, was a bright spot after the ruling coalition won a stronger majority in the upper house election. The yen was the weakest major currency. Traders see the election result as an endorsement of Japan's ultra-easy monetary policy. In Hong Kong, Brian Curtis, Bloomberg daybreak. Brian, thank you. Back here in the U.S., we have conflicting calls this morning on whether the recent stock rally will continue. Morgan Stanley Chief U.S. Equity Strategist Mike Wilson says it won't. He thinks the surge in the dollar will be a headwind for corporate profits. On the flip side, Citigroup strategists say stocks are likely to rally in the second half as corporate earnings remain resilient to surging inflation and slowing economic growth. The S&P 500 is up about 6 percent since its mid-June low. Well, speaking of earnings, Karen, reporting season gets underway this week as we hear from the country's biggest banks. More on that from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. The question on everyone's mind is, is a recession coming? And what clues will the latest batch of earnings reports provide? Scott Cronert is a strategist at Citigroup Global Markets. What we're expecting to see is a follow-through of the earnings inertia we got in Q1. So we're looking for mid-single-digit earnings growth for the S&P in total. We think we'll make the the Q2 expectations. Certainly, C-suites will express caution regarding the second half outlook. Wall Street banks lead off second quarter earnings. J.P. Morgan Chase and Morgan Stanley report Thursday. Citigroup and Wells Fargo on Friday. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Charlie, thank you. Well, on the economic front this week, it's all about inflation with readings coming on consumer and producer prices. We get a preview from Bloomberg's Vinnie Del Judice. June's household inflation rate probably ran close to 9% based on Wall Street forecast. It's taking a toll. Bloomberg Economics' average hourly earnings have been shrinking for more than a year when taking inflation into account. Look for that trying to drag on with the household inflation rate projected to run at or above 7% through year end. We'll get the Consumer Price Index Wednesday, as well as data on producer prices Thursday and import prices Friday. Vinny Del Judice, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Vinny, thanks. And when it comes to tackling inflation, the Biden administration's thinking about lowering tariffs on Chinese imports is one way to provide relief. President Biden says he is still holding discussions on the idea. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo expects a decision from the president shortly. If he decides to lift certain tariffs, it will be because he knows he has to think about doing everything he possibly can to provide any relief to consumers. Secretary Raimondo made that comment on NBC's Meet the Press, heard Sundays on Bloomberg Radio, and stay tuned for more from the Commerce Secretary later today. Gina Raimondo sits down with Bloomberg Radio and Television for an interview in the 11 a.m. Eastern Hour. Well, in Europe this week, Nathan, the race is heating up to succeed Boris Johnson as British Prime Minister. Let's go live to London and get the latest with Bloomberg's Ewan Potts. Good morning, Ewan. 
Good morning, Karen and Nathan. Just days after Boris Johnson was pushed into resigning, there are now 11 candidates to succeed him as Conservative Party leader. Liz Truss, the Foreign Secretary, is the latest to enter the race. She's making tax cuts the heart of her campaign. Lawmakers are expected to begin voting later this week as the field is narrowed to the final two candidates. One of them will become the UK's next Prime Minister. In London, I'm Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Daybreak. Okay, Ewan, thanks. Let's stay in Europe where natural gas prices are falling today. That's after Canada said it would return a stranded turbine for the Nord Stream pipeline between Russia and Germany. That could potentially increase flows, which have been limited since last month. The Nord Stream pipeline between Russia and Germany is currently undergoing routine maintenance. At the same time, the war in Ukraine is sparking concerns that maybe Moscow will not open the pipeline back up after the work. S&P futures now down 21 points. Dow futures down 153. NASDAQ futures are lower by 84 points. The 10-year Treasury is up 530 seconds for a yield close to 3.06%. Your latest local headlines and a check of sports next. This is Bloomberg. And it's now 5.07 on Wall Street. We're at 67 degrees in Central Park. Already a problem if you're headed to the Kennedy Airport. There's an accident on the westbound Belt Parkway across Bay Boulevard. Details coming up in traffic. First, Michael Barr with more on what's going on in New York and around the world. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Nathan. Donald Trump's one-time advisor, Steve Bannon, has agreed to testify to the House Committee investigating last year's storming of the U.S. Capitol. It comes after former President Trump says he waived executive privilege, even though Bannon was a private citizen at the time of the Capitol riot. Trump portrays the inquiry as biased and one-sided. Loyola Law University professor Lori Levinson says, though, the value of Bannon's testimony remains to be determined. The real problem is that I'm not sure that they can trust Bannon at all. It is clear that he and Trump still consider themselves best friends, and that if Bannon comes in front of the committee, it is very unclear what he would say that would help their investigation, but isn't just designed to help Trump. Loyola Law Professor Lori Levinson says Bannon was facing two criminal counts of contempt of Congress for refusing to comply with the committee's subpoena. The carpooling discount is over at the George Washington Bridge. The GWB went cashless tolls over the weekend. Normally, it was a $16 fee one way to get across the bridge from New Jersey to New York. But drivers who had a carpool discount plan on their easy passes paid only $7.50 with three or more people in the vehicle. Officials hope going cashless at the GWB will mean a faster commute into the city. New York City is debuting a fleet of cars mounted with air quality sensors in the Bronx and Manhattan this week. The plan is to address air pollution. Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida has met with U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. He delivered condolences from President Biden and the United States over the assassination of former leader Shinzo Abe and reassurances of a strong bilateral alliance. I thought it was just important to show our solidarity with our friend, Japan and the Japanese people, in this difficult time. Secretary Blinken says the U.S. and Japan are more than allies. We're friends. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's office says he tested positive for COVID-19. A Schumer spokesman says the senator is experiencing mild symptoms. The statement said Schumer is fully vaccinated and double boosted. Schumer says he will quarantine this week and work remotely as he recovers. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts from more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg Nathan. Thank you, Michael.
Coming up to 510 on Wall Street. Time for the Bloomberg Sports Update. Good morning, John Stanshaw. All right, good morning, Nathan. 24 hours after the rare occurrence of a Yankees blown lead, it happened again. Yanks led the Red Sox 4-0 later, 6-2. Sox scored the last nine runs and won 11-6 to gain a split of the four-game series in Boston. A J.D. Martinez home run fifth inning off Jamison Tyon tied the game at six. A Trevor Story three-run double off Miguel Castro in the seventh. Put it away. Yanks got home runs and defeat from Giancarlo Stanton. Yet another from Matt Carpenter, but hurt by a couple of errors, plus two catchable pop-ups that D.J. LeMay, who failed to grab. Yanks are off tonight. Mets tonight begin their biggest series of the season. In Atlanta, Max Scherzer opposes the Braves' Max Freed. Mets couldn't score over 10 innings. Lost to the Marlins 2-0. Atlanta won in the ninth inning. The Mets lead once 10.5 games, now 1.5. Four Mets named to play in next week's All-Star game in L.A. Edwin Diaz. Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil, and Sterling Marte. Four Yankees were named Garrett Cole, Nestor Cortez, Clay Holmes, and Jose Trevino, Aaron Judge, and Stanton had already been named as starters. The year began for Novak Djokovic when he went to Australia and wasn't allowed to play due to being unvaccinated. He lost at the French, but he just won Wimbledon for the fourth straight time. I don't take anything for granted. I'm very blessed to be in this position, especially considering everything that um, that happened this year, the beginning of the year. I just uh, didn't feel emotionally at a good place for, for several months and it's kind of trying to find the serenity and uh, you know the balance on and off the court and uh, and, and get get myself in a position to fight for a big trophy. Zokovic now with 21 career Grand Slam titles, won more than Roger Federer, won fewer than Rafael Nadal. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. Thanks, John. S&P futures down 20, Dow futures down 140, NASDAQ futures are lower by 82 points. Ten-year Treasury yield 3.06%. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg 1130 weather, sunshine and a high near 85 today. Chance for afternoon showers or thunder showers tomorrow going up to near 90. It'll be mostly sunny near 90 on Wednesday. Right now, 67 in Central Park. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business App, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Cameron Moscow, and European stocks are dropping along with U.S. stock index futures as traders await the key second-quarter earnings season for indications on how companies are weathering the inflation storm. The dollar's jumping, bonds gaining. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P futures down 19 points this morning. Dow futures down 128, and Nasdaq futures down 79. The DAX in Germany is down seven tenths of a percent. Ten-year Treasury up 5.30 seconds, yield 3.05 percent. They yield on the two-year 3.06 percent. Nymex crude oil is down one. Uh, down about 1% on a dollar eleven at $103.65 a barrel. Comex gold down three tenths percent or $5.40 at $17.36.90 an ounce. The euro 1.0117 against the dollar. British pound 1.1966 and the yen at 137. And Bitcoin this morning lower down about 2% at $20,560. That's a Bloomberg business flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Karen. Dozens of Ukrainian emergency workers Workers are trying to pull people out of the rubble after a Russian rocket attacked and smashed into three apartment buildings in eastern Ukraine. At least 18 people were killed. 
Former Trump White House strategist Steve Bannon says he is now willing to testify before the House committee investigating the January 6th assault on the Capitol. Bannon's attorney says his client is willing to cooperate because the former president has rescinded his claim of executive privilege, even though Bannon was a private citizen at the time of the riot. In baseball, the Yankees lost to the Red Sox 11-6. The Mets lost along with the Nationals and A's. The Orioles won their eighth straight. The Giants won. Global News, 24 hours a day, on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. Thanks, Michael. It's 519 on Wall Street, live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. We want to get back to our top story this morning. The saga over Elon Musk's bid to buy Twitter is now headed to court with the world's richest man now trying to walk away from the $44 billion deal. For more, we're joined by Alex Webb, Bloomberg Quick Take anchor and tech columnist for Bloomberg Opinion. Alex, good morning. This has been uh, quite the saga to watch. Let's talk about how both sides got to this point and the dispute over bots on Twitter. It, it, it certainly, saga is certainly the right word. Uh, th- there's been increasing volume from Elon over the past few months since the, t- uh, you know, long since the deal was agreed that he thinks that there are that Twitter has more bots than it's reporting. Twitter says that uh, less than five percent of its users are, are uh, bots, and Elon seems to think it's a lot more. Though he hasn't quite provided the evidence as to why. Now, I think th- there may be a disp- discrepancy here between um, the amount of engagement that Elon sees on his own account, and he sees a lot of bot engagement, and how many bots, or how many tw- users Twitter reports as active users, right? So when Twitter says it has 180 million daily active users, it probably doesn't include bots in those numbers, right? And so that's the, maybe there are 400 million um, accounts using Twitter every day. I'm making that number up. We don't know what the mm-hmm. number might be. And maybe half of those are bots for argument's sake. So that might be where we're seeing the disparity. Well, it's interesting that you point out that perhaps Elon Musk is looking at his own Twitter account as opposed to the fire hose of data that Twitter says it has handed over to Elon Musk, something that that they, that Musk had been asking for. I mean, what is his focus here? Well, that kind of gets to the nub of the issue, namely that is this really about the bots or is it about the fact that tech stocks and social media stocks in particular are down a lot since that deal was announced? And so... There's a lot of expectations, you know, some analysts saying that uh, if the deal completely falls apart, they see a bottom for the stock at $23. That's considerably less than half of the $54.20, which he agreed to take it private. So, you know, is this really to do with bots or is it just Elon going, God, I'm overpaying for this deal and therefore I need to find a way of backing out of it? There's a heavy suspicion that it's the latter. And right now in the pre-market, Twitter's trading at about 34.50, which obviously the uh, 54.20 offer is a huge premium still, even if Twitter hasn't reached bottom here. With the possibility and the likelihood now that this dispute is headed to court in Delaware, what's the burden of proof? Elon seems to think that Twitter's going to have to provide the, 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 the number of bots. He's been tweeting memes saying this is the case. Ultimately... He needs to prove that they're wrong, not the other way around. And uh, generally, these the, the Delaware, Delaware courts tend to um, sit on the side that if a deal has be, been agreed, a deal has to be completed. Uh, 
the case that a lot of people have been pointing towards and um, is kind of important in the case law is about uh, 25 years ago around the turn of the millennium uh, there was a deal in the meat industry whereby T- Tyson Foods agreed to acquire its then rival IPB um, for about three and a half or three point two billion dollars and in the meantime, between the deal being agreed and it being completed, there was a downturn. And so the value of the company declined as well. So Tyson tried to back out of the deal. They were forced to complete it. Now, $3.2 billion is clearly far different scale from $44 billion. We did, weren't even really sure that Elon definitely had the financing lined up. So that is another layer of complication. Um, in some cases, it, it arrives at a settlement, but the burden of proof seems to be on Elon. In about in the last minute here, uh, Alex, what is the likelihood that all this is just a negotiating tactic on Elon Musk's part and this does end up in a settlement? I, I mean, I don't know. Like, we don't know what's in mm-hmm. Elon's mind. Guessing what Elon's thinking is a very difficult thing to do. If it's not a negotiating tactic, I think it is certainly an element to back out. Oh, there's a high chance it's an element. It's an effort to back out because of the price change, right? He looks like he's overpaying at this stage. So, whether that means he would come back to the table if he was able to back out and and, and agree a lower price, I'm not sure that's the case given the the kind of uh, the face that he's lost in, in recent months. And again, uh, Twitter shares uh, dropping by about uh, six and a quarter percent for a value of about thirty four fifty a share. Uh, in the pre-market as we watch this battle potentially head now to court in Delaware. Alex Webb, Bloomberg Opinion Tech columnist and anchor on Bloomberg Quick Take. As always, thanks for the insights uh, as we continue to watch this saga unfold. Right now, S&P futures are down 20 points. Dow futures down 136. NASDAQ futures are lower by 84 points. Ten-year Treasury up 630 seconds. The yield 3.05% 3.05% and the yield on the two year almost 3.07% still inversion between twos and tens. You're listening to Bloomberg Daybreak. Bloomberg 1130 weather sunshine with a high near 85 today. It's going to be mostly sunny tomorrow, but could see an afternoon shower or thunder shower tomorrow and Wednesday, both days near 90 degrees right now, 67 in Central Park. Broadcasting live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 99.1. To Boston. Bloomberg 1061. To San Francisco. Bloomberg 960. To the country. Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe. The Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. It's 5.30 on Wall Street. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. We're just about four hours away from the open of U.S. trading. Let's get you up to date on the news you need to know at this hour. And we begin with the latest on Twitter. Twitter shares are down more than 6.5% in early trading as the showdown between Elon Musk and the social media company appears to be headed to court. Bloomberg's Renita Young joins us live with the latest. Renita, good morning. Good morning, Karen. Even though Elon Musk is backing out of the $44 billion deal to buy Twitter after all, he can't just walk away without a court case. 
and Twitter has lawyered up in a race to sue Musk to follow through. Bloomberg sources say a filing could come as soon as early this week. Now, if the judge rules against Musk, he could be forced to pay Twitter shareholders $54.20 a share. But a ruling in his favor would let Musk walk, although he'd probably have to pay a $1 billion breakup fee. And there's also the prospect that both sides could reach a settlement. Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. Hi, right, Renita. Thank you. Turning to markets now, stocks are lower to begin a new trading week, and the recent rally in U.S. equities could be short-lived. That's according to Morgan Stanley, Chief U.S. Equity Strategist Mike Wilson. He is one of Wall Street's biggest bears. Wilson adds the surge in the dollar will be a headwind for corporate profits. Well, Nathan, speaking of corporate earnings, it's a big week for big banks. J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, City, and Wells Fargo all report second quarter earnings late in the week. We'll also get important inflation data this week. The latest consumer price index data will come in Wednesday and producer prices out Thursday. And when it comes to tackling inflation, Karen, the Biden administration is still thinking about lowering tariffs on Chinese imports to provide relief. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo expects a decision from the president shortly. He's going to do it in a thoughtful way that is strategic and also most important, most important to him and to all of us is without hurting American workers. Secretary Raimondo made that comment on NBC's Meet the Press, heard Sundays on Bloomberg Radio. We'll speak live with Commerce Secretary Raimondo later this morning on Bloomberg Radio and Television. Catch that conversation in the 11 a.m. Eastern Hour. Nathan, President Biden plans to speak with Chinese leader Xi Jinping in the coming weeks. Secretary of State Antony Blinken laid the groundwork for the call over the weekend in a conversation with the Chinese foreign minister. As for Chinese stocks, Karen, they had their worst day in about a month. A slew of issues, including COVID flare-ups, led to a drop of almost 3% for Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index. S&P futures are lower, down 22 points. Dow futures down 150, and Nasdaq futures down 92. Straight ahead, your latest local headlines, plus a check of sports. And this is Bloomberg. Thank you, Karen. It's 533 on Wall Street. We're at 67 degrees in Central Park. We're dealing with a new accident this morning. Northbound FDR Drive at 79th. Details coming up in traffic. First, Michael Barr with what else is going on in New York and around the world. Michael. Thank you, Nathan. Speaking of traffic, how's your commute so far this morning heading citybound over the George Washington Bridge? The GWB went cashless tolls over the weekend. The good news is that officials hope that will mean a smoother commute from New Jersey into New York. The bad news means... That's the end of the carpooling fee. Normally, it costs $16 one way to get across the bridge. However, drivers who had a carpool discount plan on their easy passes paid about half of that if they had three or more people in their vehicle. Former advisor to former President Trump, Steve Bannon, has changed course and is now saying he will cooperate with the January 6th committee. However, Loyola Law University professor Lori Levinson says the value of Bannon's testimony remains to be determined. In terms of what he would say to the committee, I think the only thing that is clear is that he continues to be allied with Donald Trump. And so I'm not sure the committee would particularly trust what he's going to have to say even if Bannon is willing now to appear before the committee. Loyola law professor Lori Levinson. Meanwhile, Republican committee member Adam Kinzinger says this week's hearing will likely focus on the president's action the day of January 6th. What we want to show the American people is what was the president doing during that time? Uh, the rest of the country knew that there was an insurrection. 
The president obviously had to have known there was an insurrection. So where was he? What was he doing? Representative Kinzinger spoke on ABC's This Week, which can be heard Sundays on Bloomberg. Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida has met with the U.S.'s top diplomat, who delivered condolences over the assassination of former leader Shinzo Abe and reassurances of a strong bilateral alliance. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken in Japan gave Kishida a letter from President Joe Biden to Abe's family. I shared with our Japanese colleagues uh, the sense of loss, the sense of shock that we all feel, the American people feel, uh, at this horrific tragedy and killing. Secretary Blinken, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer tested positive for COVID, mild symptoms, according to a spokesman. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts, more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr, and this is Bloomberg Nathan. Okay, Michael, thanks. 5.35 on Wall Street, time for the Bloomberg Sports Update with John Stanshower. Thanks, Nathan. Yankees' first visit of the season to Boston started well. They won the first two games Saturday. They had leads in the eighth and tenth innings, and last night they twice had a four-run lead. The Red Sox with two come-from-behind victories. They get a split of the four-game series. The Sox went from down 6-2 to two to an 11-6 victory, and while the Yankees still have that sizable 14-game lead, there is concern over Jamison Tyone's Allowed 20 runs in his last four starts. His manager is Aaron Boone. Mistakes are, are hurting him. Um, you know, we got to, you know, that's what we got to work to correct. You know, making sure when we do make a mistake that it's, you know, not into an area where it's getting slugged. That's really hurting him. Because I thought tonight is stuff. I thought tonight he threw the ball really well. I know not the only problem last night. Some sketchy defense. Ganks failed to score in the last five-plus innings. Mets didn't score at all in a game without a single extra base hit by either team. The Marlins won 2 nothing in 10 innings. A pitcher's duel between Sandy Alcantara and Taiwan Walker. Alcantara just named an all-star. Walker could have made a case for making it. He did not. Four Mets were named all-stars. Edwin Diaz, Pete Alonso, Jeff McNeil, and Starley Marte. Four Yankees named Garrett Cole, Nestor Cortez, Clay Holmes, and Jose Trevino. Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton had already been named as starters. The National League team for next week's game in L.A. will have brothers in the starting lineup, Cubs catcher Wilson Contreras and his brother William, who plays with the Dodgers, will be the DH. Novak Djokovic, just after winning Wimbledon for the seventh time, said he does not expect to be allowed to come to New York for the U.S. Open since he is unvaccinated. Said it would take an easing of restrictions or a medical exemption. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. Nathan? Okay, John, thanks. 537 on Wall Street now. Time for the Tri-State Business Report with Bloomberg's Ed Corey. Twelve New Jersey hospitals will get $129 million through the budget deal crafted in late June by Governor Phil Murphy and top lawmakers. NJ Spotlight says it's not clear how projects were picked for funding. Much of it's reportedly destined for hospitals in Democratic legislative districts. Before the American Dream Supermall in New Jersey can get help with payments, the state's Economic Development Authority must approve documents certifying expenditures by the developer Triple Five Group. But three weeks before the debts to be paid, EDA still has not approved a cost statement. DTO Law has opened an office in New York City on Broadway Center. The Business Journal says the law firm, with offices in L.A. and San Francisco, says the New York City office will be staffed by Allison Kenner, formerly an assistant U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania. That's your Bloomberg Tri-State Business Report. I'm Ed Corey. Thanks, Ed. 538 on Wall Street. Bloomberg Radio is on the air from San Francisco to New York, London to Hong Kong. Let's check in with our global news team for some of the top stories heard on our 300 affiliate radio stations around the world. 
Steve Podisk, and on KNX in Los Angeles, we're talking about a decent opening for the new Thor movie, improving Disney's uneven movie release record for this year. I'm Courtney Dunahoe on KTRH in Houston. Texans are asked to conserve energy on scorching temperatures. I'm Gina Cervetti, and for WCCO in Minneapolis, I'm talking about some of the locally-based companies reporting their earnings this week, including United Health. I'm Stephen Carroll on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio in London. We've been reporting on fears around Russian gas supplies as the Nord Stream pipeline shuts down for maintenance. I'm Ed Corey on WWJ in Detroit. I'm reporting Ford has had to recall 100,000 hybrid vehicles. Man, those are some of the stories our 2,700 Bloomberg journalists and analysts are working on this morning around the world. It's 539 on Wall Street. The following commentary is from Bloomberg Opinion. Where have people gone all electric? Not the places you'd expect. I'm Justin Fox, a columnist for Bloomberg Opinion. In hopes of curtailing the emissions that cause global warming, dozens of local governments on the coasts have banned natural gas hookups for new construction. In response, 20 state legislatures, mostly in the middle of the country, have banned local authorities from banning natural gas hookups. But where are people most likely to have gas-free homes now? In states that are banning gas hookup bans, mainly. In one of them, Florida, 77% of homes are all electric. In hookup ban hotbeds New York and California, the all-electric shares are just 7 and 8%. Politicians in New York and California are making such a big deal about home electrification, in part because they have so far to go. In at least some of the ban-the-ban states, electrification is already here. I'm Justin Fox. For more opinion, please go to Bloomberg.com slash opinion or OPIN Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg Opinion. Listen for Bloomberg Opinion editorials and commentaries every weekday at this time. Terminal customers can read more at OPIN Go. S&P futures down 21 points. Dow futures down 140. NASDAQ futures are lower by 88 points. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg 1130 weather, sunshine, mid-80s today. Chance for an afternoon shower or thunder shower tomorrow with a high near 90. It'll be mostly sunny and hot for Wednesday, going back up near 90 degrees. Right now, 67. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business App, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. European stocks dropping this morning along with U.S. stock index futures as traders await the key second quarter earnings season for indications on how companies are weathering the inflation storm. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day. On Bloomberg, S&P futures down 22 points. Dow futures down 139. NASDAQ futures down 90. The DAX in Germany is down 7 tenths of a percent. The 10-year Treasury up 5.30 seconds, yield 3.06 percent. Yield on the two-year, 3.07 percent. Dimex crude oil is down 2 and a third percent, down $2.47 at $102.36 a barrel. And Bitcoin this morning down more than 2 percent at $20,510. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael. Karen, thank you very much. Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida has called for party unity to achieve the unfinished goals of assassinated former leader Shinzo Abe, including strengthening the military. It comes as Kishida's ruling bloc secured more seats in Parliament's upper house in elections yesterday. Also today, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with Kishida to offer his condolences. President Biden says he is considering declaring a public health emergency to free up federal resources 
resources to promote abortion access. In baseball, the Yankees lost to the Red Sox 11-6. The Mets lost along with the Nationals and A's. The Orioles won their eighth straight. The Giants won. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg, Nathan. Thanks, Michael. It's 548 on Wall Street, live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak as we get ready to kick off a very busy week for investors. We're joined this morning by Ross Mayfield, investment strategy analyst at Baird & Company. Ross, good morning. Obviously, I want to get your thoughts on this market, but I wonder if you have any Anything to add uh, to this ongoing Elon Musk Twitter buyout saga now apparently headed to court? Where do you see this thing going? You know, I don't know if I have a ton to add because it has been such a focus of the discourse, but it, yeah. it seems like a lose-lose at this point, right? I mean, they're going to they're gonna you know take this to the courts, and it's going to probably get muddy and messy, and it just feels like this isn't what Twitter wants, this isn't what Elon wants, and so we're kind of headed to, you know, a, a messy, messy breakup from here. Is Twitter headed lower from here? There's some people talking about a bottom well below $30 a share. Well, look, I, th- I mean, I think part of this has to be right. In, in the initial stages of this, tech stocks were in one place. And then along the course of this, you know, kind of courtship and offers, tech stocks continued to plummet. So, you know, without this to, uh, you know, put a floor under Twitter's price, I think there's potential just to catch up with the rest of the kind of the tech route and growth route that we've seen across the the first half of the year. So um, I'm not sure, but it wouldn't surprise me if it if it kind of caught down to some of the uh, the other tech weakness. And we're looking at more signs of that tech route potentially continuing here with uh, NASDAQ futures leading declines this morning. As I mentioned, it is a very busy week for investors with the focus now going to second quarter earnings and, of course, inflation, recession, worries at the fore. And we're kind of hearing dueling views on where this market goes from here, Ross. Uh, Mike Wilson over at Morgan Stanley is thinking that a stronger dollar could be a headwinds for earnings. While uh, Citigroup is thinking uh, that corporate profits could hold up to the uh, inflation concerns and an economic slowdown. Where do you see this market right now? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think this earnings season will show, you know, tepid strength, modest strength, and it'll be more about um, forward guidance, what companies are, are seeing on the cost side of things, how they're, how they're viewing the consumer picture in particular. Um, so I think this actual earnings uh, could be a bit anticlimactic, but the guidance piece and then what sell-side analysts do in response as far as revisions to, say, 2023 estimates will be important. Um, you know, FX is a headwind, and FX will, um, you know, probably probably weigh on the bottom line. But it's hard to ever get, you know, too too overly concerned with what the, the swings in currencies actually weigh on uh, on earnings. More to me, it's about the, the cost inflation, wage inflation. And then how companies who are seeing that consumer spending in real time think that the consumer is holding up uh, in the face of a lot of pressure. What's your expectation on how companies are going to lay out those concerns? I, I think what we'll see is um, probably not the worst case scenario, which is heading towards kind of a deep recession and probably not the best case scenario, which right now, I think 2023 earnings are still pegged for the S&P at, at close to $250. A share, which would be about 10% growth uh, next year, that's that's pretty inconsistent with even a mild economic slowdown, which almost seems like a certainty given what the Fed is doing and where inflation still is. So I think earnings revisions need to, to come in. I think estimates need to come down. But I do think that the consumer strength and the corporate strength to date 
uh, will provide kind of a cushion um, that that we can take solace in heading into uh, heading into 2023. So somewhere in the middle, um, but certainly expectations need to come in. Only about 30 seconds left here, Ross. We get inflation data as well this week. Are you seeing any signs of peak inflation? Yeah, sure. I mean, industrial metals, uh, you know, break-evens are coming in. Uh, yields have come in quite a bit. Um, you know, gasoline prices. So so we're seeing plenty of signs of it. The, the bigger issue to me is wage inflation. We, we got a lot of data last week that said the job market is still quite strong, and that's obviously a very sticky form of inflation. So we need to see some easing of pressure on that front to really get confident. Thanks, Ross. Good to have you on with us this morning. Ross Mayfield, Investment Strategy Analyst at Baird & Company. Karen. It is 5.53 on Wall Street. It's time for the Bloomberg Law Report, brought to you by American Arbitration Association. Business disputes are inevitable. Resolve faster with the American Arbitration Association, the global leader in alternative dispute resolution for over 90 years. More at ADR.org. Let's get to the legal stories we're watching this morning from Bloomberg's Joan Doniger. The Supreme Court's decision overturning the right to an abortion opens the door for more conflict over travel for an abortion. Three law professors tell Bloomberg Law the right to travel, like the right to privacy, isn't mentioned explicitly in the Constitution, so the high court will have to decide that. Texas state lawmakers plan to target law firms with civil and criminal sanctions that have promised to cover travel expenses for workers to obtain abortions in other states. And the Justice Department is asking a federal court to pause Booz Allen Hamilton's deal to buy Everwatch, a defense tech technology firm. Bloomberg Law. Everything you need all on one legal research platform, including guidance, analysis, and Bloomberg Market Intelligence. Find out more at BloombergLaw.com. All right, Joan, thanks. Now another legal story we're watching. The Supreme Court finished a tumultuous term in which the conservative majority wiped away the constitutional right to abortion, expanded gun rights, upended the law of church and state, and limited the federal government's ability to combat climate change. It was a term that exposed dissension among the justices as the conservatives exercised more power over the lives of Americans. For more, Bloomberg's June Grasso speaks to the constitutional law expert Stephen Vladek, a professor at the University of Texas law school. In many of these cases, the court would say, well, this is up to Congress, or Congress has to say this more exactly. Knowing that Congress is gridlocked and is not going to address this, is the court now more powerful than the other branches, more powerful than it should be? To the first, I don't know how anyone could say the answer is no. You know, the Supreme Court today has power, the likes of which I don't think it's had at any point in its history. And some of that's because of power that the court has claimed for itself. But we ought to be frank. Some of that's because we are in a period of political deadlock in Washington. Is it more powerful than it should be? I mean, again, I think it's worth stressing that in the Federalist, right, Madison's argument for why the people of New York should ratify the Constitution with the powers separated the way they were was that ambition ought to be made to counteract ambition. The branches should be made to check each other. And I think what we're seeing is a Supreme Court that's not worried about being checked by anybody. And that's easy for folks who like what the current Supreme Court is doing to not be all that troubled by. But in the long term, I don't know how it's healthy for our system when the court is basically claiming the power for itself, not just to decide where our rights are, that's always been its its power, but to decide what Congress must have meant in statutes it wrote a long time ago. The long term of this country and its history, I don't know how we're all better off being run by five or six unelected justices 
versus, you know, 536 elected politicians. The justices don't even seem to be trying to present a united front anymore. Only 29% of cases were unanimous. That's the lowest rate since SCOTUS blog began compiling statistics two decades ago. You know, usually at the end of the term we say, well, it wasn't as divisive as we thought. But now we look at these numbers, <laughs> and it was. Listen, I think there's a reason why conservatives are celebrating the term and progressives are decrying it. I mean, this was as dominant a term for one side of the political aisle in American politics as we've seen really, frankly, in as long as I can remember. And I don't think that by itself is an indictment of the court. I mean, I think the problem is it's about the cases the justices are taking. It's about the lens they're going to decide these issues. It's about the inconsistent rationales they're relying upon. It's about the hubris inflecting some of the decisions. And frankly, it's about the complete lack of effort to suggest that the other side's positions are reasonable or worth taking seriously. And in that regard, I think the best thing that can be said about the Supreme Court term is that the Supreme Court is doing its best to look like the country. We ought to expect more from the court, and it ought to be above that. And that's Stephen Vladek, a professor at the University of Texas Law School, speaking with Bloomberg's June Grasso. Catch more of that interview plus analysis of the latest legal news by subscribing to the Bloomberg Law Podcast or downloading the show at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Attorneys can find exceptional legal research and business development tools at BloombergLaw.com and on the Bloomberg Terminal at BlawGo. Futures are lower this morning. S&P futures down 24 points. Dow futures down 158. NASDAQ futures down 101. And still ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak, we have a check on the business headlines and all the news you need to start your day. And we continue to watch shares of Twitter, which are down about 7% right now. And this is Bloomberg. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie's based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.